on the Empire Podcast this week, we're holding out for a hero till the morning comes, which is just as well, for we've got two of them in the shape of the Vision from Avengers Age of Ultron, a.k.a. Mr. Paul Bettany, and Daredevil from Daredevil, a.k.a. Mr. Charlie Cox. That's right, two British actors who've moved to America and are playing American heroes. Nigel Farage must be so confused right now. All that and more on the movie podcast that is sharp and incisive, like a Krishnan Guru Murthy celebrity interview. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our geek queen, a lady who would never let Krishnan Guru Murthy break her composure with poorly phrased questions about her questionable past. <laughs> you once said you could never go from a supernatural box set to a book about dragons and come out as a liberal. What did you mean by that, Helen O'Hara? <laughs> well, clearly I did, Chris, since you know I'm a big old lefty. Um, so, uh, so yes. Wow. I, I didn't mean anything by that because I didn't say it. We're getting real political on this podcast, yeah, really? aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> there is a general election coming up, uh, isn't there? There is. I, I, I believe so, that. yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, last but not least is our resident Jurassic Parkophile, a man who kept us cool despite invasive questions from KGM like, in the past you've talked about things like your love of Dilophosaurs and your addiction to mosquitoes preserved in amber. Do you think you've moved on from that, Nick DeSimlian? What are we doing here, Chris? <laughs> what are, we, are, we, are we talking about the, the podcast? What's happening here? Well, I, I just, you know, it's just, it seems to me that, you know, in, in the past, you know, dinosaurs and... and uh, oh, he's gone. No, I've come back. <laughs> hey! hey! No, I've moved on from that, that, that dark time of my life where I, I, want, I once actually bought a replica of Dennis Nedry's ID badge. Yes, I was, I, was wow. I was there. I was there. I was there um, with you. Uh, but I, I've moved forward. I'm an enabler. I've put that behind me. <laughs> I've still got it actually it's in my truck <laughs> yeah. so you've yeah. moved on but not away no there is an awesome company that uh, makes replicas of movie and TV show ID badges yeah it's mm. awesome that is pretty I wish I could remember it does it, awesome. yeah it's awesome that'll help people track it down we don't know what it's <laughs> called uh, does it kill you inside that I've actually met Wayne Knight you've been in a lift with him I don't have recall. I been in a lift with him no someone I know has been in a lift with him no, I thought it was you. It must be a formative are, moment if you don't remember. These are great you. stories. They really <laughs> to kick off. There's a company that sells something, but we don't remember what it's called. And someone was in a lift with someone who it's may have been Wayne Knight. It's early. So okay. well, when did you meet Wayne Knight? I met Wayne Knight years ago for the uh, Punisher uh, Warzone, where he played Microchip. And uh, I had an interview with him where I covered his key roles in his career, including Newman in Seinfeld, uh, the sweaty bloke in Basic Instinct. And, of course, Dennis Nedry. Lieutenant Sweat. <laughs> Lieutenant Sweat. Yes. Did you spit at him? A nad lieutenant. Um, did I spit at him? Yeah, I went. So my next question, uh, Wayne, is... <laughs> For those of you listening at home, Chris actually just waved his hands next to his face it's, to simulate the fan. It's my Dilophosaur impression. And it's a really impressive one. There's no Dilophosaurus in Jurassic World. I'm, I'm still oh. recovering from that news. That's pretty tough. I asked Colin Trevor. No yeah. Dilophosaurus. Yeah, it wouldn't come out of this trailer, no doubt. Um, anyway, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I, I wrote that down, <laughs> so I'd remember to say that. It's a pleasure to have you both in the pod. Booth. Wow, sincerity. Amazing. It means a lot that you were here. We got some questions. Uh, we had a question last week uh, from uh, Jack Shepard uh, who asked a two-part question. One was about our favourite walking scenes in movies. Someone wrote in saying, how did we possibly miss out the beginning of Saturday Night Fever? That is a very good point. How sure? did we? We should slap ourselves in the wrist. Uh, someone else wrote in. David from Glasgow wrote in to say, the opening of the bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, not a movie, but otherwise a very strong contender. Absolutely. 
Uh, that is some proper good walking going on there. Yeah. yeah, really good. I think it's it's that's actually not walking uh, strictly. Uh, I'm going to steal a joke now from Terry Pratchett. Um, that's proceeding. Policemen proceed. Mm-hmm. You know, I was proceeding along the road when I saw the suspect, la la la. Um, uh-huh. And I think in that, they're very much proceeding. They've got that rhythm to their stride. They have somewhere to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, walking implies sort of an arbitrary, airy fairy nature to your... Yeah, your, and a non-police yeah. nature to your to your okay. stroll. So the second part of Jack Shepard's question was the best running scenes in movies. Mm. And uh, I asked people last week to come up with their favourite their, their favorite scenes. And uh, we've had some good responses. Uh, Josh from High Wycombe uh, gave us a whole a cavalcade of of, uh, of suspects. Let's take a look. Uh, Forrest Gump's cross-country run. Yep. Good. Yep. Yes. Opening up the two towers, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli. Yes. Uh, also, a lot of people pointed out there's quite a lot of walking in the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Really? Yeah. I didn't notice. I think so. Yeah. I think there may have been a comedic riff on it in another film. I'm not quite sure. Um, Bomber does a good run. Does in, he? Uh, the Desolation of Smaug. Schmurg. Schmurg. Yes, where he outpaces all the other dwarves despite being a fatty. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. He so does. Prejudice. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely right. I'm going to say one now because uh, it's in my head and I'll probably forget it otherwise. I love Superman the movie when he runs home from football practice and he runs past the train, which on it mm. has a character, a young girl who may or may not grow up to be, in fact, it is Lois Lane because I mean, there's a line of dialogue. Um, so it's Lois Lane. So it establishes that Clark is about 10 years older than yeah. Lois Lane, even though when he gets to Metropolis, she's clearly 10 years older than him. Well, she's at least 10 years more established in her profession, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Rocky Drago montage in Russia from Rocky IV. Uh-huh. Yeah, running yeah. up the mountain. Yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. yeah. The second half of Apocalypto. Yep. Shosanna running from Colonel Hans Landa at the start of Glorious Bastards. This is all from Josh and High Wickham. He's been giving a lot of thought to this. Napoleon Dynamite running across the Idaho desert to pick up his prom date. Also good. John Cleese <laughs> in The Holy Grail, that amazing joke where he's uh, the guards are at the castle. And as Lancelot, they look up and Lancelot's running towards him. And then it cuts back to them. Mm cuts back to him running he's in exactly the same spot cuts back to them and they're going huh? what is this cuts back to him he's in the same spot cuts back to them suddenly he appears out of nowhere and kills everybody in the castle uh, Robert Patrick is a T-1000 what a great run that guy has that does that is a great run of course very good run he, he, yeah. he studied video footage of cheetahs that's interesting hashtag true fact <laughs> <laughs> that's less so suddenly suddenly all the interest drained I out love of it. that that's yeah, amazing that really that's true yeah that's, that's fantastic that is true I love that. Um, uh, the the foot chase in Point Break. I yeah. know we've mentioned it before, but that's a personal favourite. That's a good. Of the, even if he does fall down at the end and go ah. <laughs> are we gonna Are we gonna include Quicksilver or the Quicksilvers? Ooh, we can include Quick. If, if it's someone running in a movie and it's worthy of note, which, then which yeah. Which Quicksilver are we Are we going with Quicksilver or Quicksilver? <laughs> you did not see that coming. Um, okay, we're gonna get onto that. Yes, a little we bit are. later. Okay. Um, I, I have to say, actually, I think in the it purely for Quicksilver himself alone, then probably uh, 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 X Men has it. I think so. Yeah, that's a that's a great Quicksilver scene. But then it's more Quicksilver focused. There are Quicksilver moments rather than Quicksilver scenes. I think yeah. it's fair to say in Age of Ultron, not really a spoiler. Um, and uh, so yeah, it purely just taken in isolation. I would say. Mm. Several people said if we miss out, yeah, run little run, then we should be shot. I don't remember any running in Run the Run. Was there, was there running in that? A <laughs> L- little bit of a jog. The, yeah, yeah a, mild, a mild jog. <laughs> uh, Phoebe running 
in Friends that is, is one for the ages glorious. I'll be doing that on Sunday actually in the marathon Helen is running the London Marathon that's uh, amazing this is a very topical it yes. is actually yeah. which Helen is actually running at the moment she's run, doing laps around the <laughs> roof it's amazing because yeah. we're natural broadcasters or if you will podcasters uh, that's obviously why I delayed this question to this week Helen you're running the London Marathon yes 26.2 miles oh god uh, how is it going how's it's, the training it's, well this week is tapering and carb loading so I'm, I'm back to something approaching normality in that I'm, I'm eating lots of bread and uh, and sitting on the sofa so, uh, so that's something helpful. called bis- uh, and uh, we have a bisky for afterwards yeah. this is what we're, we're rewarding ourselves with for recording this uh, podcast uh, what's a bisky it's a cross between a biscuit and, <laughs> and a, a cake and it's very exciting. Mm. Um, but yes, uh, if, if anybody wants to sponsor me, I'm running along with uh, Ollie Richards, also of this parish, mm-hmm. for the NSPCC. And we're at virginmoneygiving.com slash, I think it's Ollie and Helen 5. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And you've, you've uh, more than exceeded your target, haven't you? Uh, we have just a bite, yeah. yes. So we should be allowed to run, I'm but hopeful. It's I a put very... five pounds down on you surviving. So I believe in you. I, I love that expression of, of, of belief and, what, and what faith. What are the odds? What are the odds? <laughs> I haven't the got odds any money down good. on Ollie to survive, but you I believe in. Uh, so what, what time are you aiming for? Uh, I will be extraordinarily slow. I will be north of five hours, Ollie, I think. I suspect being much, much faster. Um, mm. But uh, So apologies for all the running talk. But yes, I, if it's any comfort to bring it back to a film-related topic, mm. I will be dressed as Wonder Woman, weather permitting. The opening of Silence of the Lambs, we meet Clary Starling as she is running, stroke climbing on that obstacle course which is a great way of introducing the character and we have to mention Tom Cruise don't we? Yeah we do He runs Mm. I'm sure there's a supercut Mainly because he's outside staring at us He's clinging onto the side of a plane right now (laughs) (laughs) He's he's strafing the building until we talk about him Um, Yeah I'm going to What is the best the the most memorable for me the most memorable for me is Mission Impossible 3, which I'm not really a fan of but I remember the the, the, the big climactic set piece in that is him running Yeah Oh, him running up the buildings in, uh, is it Shanghai they go to? They go, they go you know, somewhere. I've only seen that film once. He runs along rooftops, doesn't he? And he yeah. does a lot of running. Yeah, that's a good run. He, he, runs, rabbit's foot or he runs a lot in the firm. There's a really good foot chase in the firm. Um, Harrison Ford does a lot of running as well. He, he busted his knee, I think, uh, running on The Fugitive. Hmm. Yeah, so they had to shut down for a little bit and do other. Th- uh, they had to do. They had to film scenes of him pointing. He's always injuring himself, <laughs> so they had to. You know, so he couldn't run. So they had to have him sitting down and pointing to things and getting angry. Going, no, you find that man. You find that man. They of course, to- he wasn't the one chasing. Oh, well, you mean the one-armed man? Okay. When I came home, there was a man in my house. Arg, arg. He had to do that stuff. Wow. You guys should do the marathon yeah. dressed as Kimbo and Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> That actually would be a brilliant idea. That would be fantastic. Um, maybe next time. There won't be a next time, but maybe next so. time. Uh, has anyone seen the, uh, I think I know the answer to this, the Vince Vaughn movie that came out recently, Unfinished Business? You know, I was gonna, uh-huh. but I was, what happened? I was she didn't make washing it to the my hair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of marathon running scenes, there are obviously a few in movies as well, but there's an amazing scene in that where, and not to spoil things, not to give things away about this movie, but he is a businessman in Berlin. Uh, he's an American businessman on, on journey. Uh, on journey? He's an American businessman in Berlin. <laughs> He's an American businessman in Berlin on a on a on a business trip, and throwaway line earlier in the movie is about how he never commits to things, and so he talks about how you know he goes you know I I I I started training for a marathon and I I stopped because I gave up and I you know, the most I ever ran was like twelve miles, and he goes all right okay fair enough that's a throwaway line, and then later in the movie he's having an existential crisis he's wandering through Berlin in his business suit, mm-hmm. and he sees the Berlin Marathon, 
So that's one of the world marathon majors, just to be clear, run by <laughs> tens of thousands of people every year. Uh-huh. Carry on. And he just joins in. He decides on the spur of the moment to join in. And he runs the full 26.2 miles in full suit with shoes. Yes. And he does it in a respectable Probably I more think somewhere about four and a half hours. Probably more than me then. And he's not even sweating at the end. Well, just a couple of things on that. You can run in dress shoes if they're very well-made shoes, apparently. Somebody did it at the Boston Marathon a few years ago, just to make a point. Mm. Um, he was the head of a shoe company, um, mm. but it can be done. But no, that's that's crazy. People run, you know... Uh, first of all, how would they know his time? He hasn't got a chip. So, <laughs> you know, that doesn't make any sense. And uh, That would have been a great ending to that, to that set piece. He gets to the end and they're like, no, no, sorry, you don't qualify. You haven't got a chip. And he well, just I mean, goes off. It really, it really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it is one of the world's uh, easiest and fastest marathon courses. I use the term easy loosely um, because it's very flat. That's why most world records are set in Berlin. Mm. Fun fact, kids. There you go. Wow. I mean, again, this is one of those things we could be talking for ages here. Phil is not here this week. Uh, I'm going to put his art house hat on and say the end of the 400 blows, mm. uh, which is uh, you know the, the the young boy running through, running along, and then he Frenchie runs into the into the sea, which is a, a, a an ending that we parodied shot for shot in a can video blog episode mm. uh, <laughs> a few years ago, and that was a lot of fun. Running um, on a on a beach is very difficult as well, so that that mm. gets an extra point. We haven't mentioned chariots of fire, so I'm just going to do that now to get that out of the way. And Rocky. And Rocky. Rocky. And we should do, next week we should do stair climbing. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Let's keep this going. And then cross training. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Star jump. <laughs> All right. Okay. So there you go. Uh, Jack, I think hopefully we've answered some of that stuff. Again, not definitive in any way, shape or form. People will write in and go, how did you miss this? How did you miss that? It's because we have a finite amount of time on this earth. and Also, we're we morons. Go. We're morons as well. And we don't write this stuff down. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, uh, you can Twitter us. We're on Twitter as Empire. Power Magazine at Empire Magazine you can use the hashtag Empire Podcast you can Facebook us as Empire Magazine and you can email us as well uh, as David from Glasgow did early on as did Josh from High Wickham with lots of suggestions uh, we're podcast at empireonline.com okay two interviews this week Charlie Cox started his career as the lead of Matthew Fawn Stardust another one of the Fawn conveyor belt of talent and then moved on to a memorable supporting role in Boardwalk Empire but the British actor has really hit it big as Matt Murdock, the blind lawyer who trawls the streets of New York by night looking for hot, sweaty action with burly men in Netflix's Marvel series, Daredevil. He came home this week, so we popped a bag over his head and dragged him into the pod booth. Good work, good work. Ah, uh, well done, us. Anyway, enjoy. Hi, nice. So, what you a latte? Get, like, confessional and stuff. Do you know what? It's very funny. So, I, um, I, was, I went on David Letterman oh, yeah. in New York. And the morning of, I had the worst food poisoning I've ever had. I don't know how I even made it to the show. Oh. And I couldn't, I couldn't, obviously couldn't really eat, stomach anything for about three days. Yeah, and when one, I finally started two, feeling better, three. I thought, I'm going to take this opportunity to yeah, a three. quick coffee. Everything's going. Because ah. yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd done the detox. You turn the good thing, you turn the bad thing into a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All too easy. I've not had a coffee since almost a month. Daredevil yeah. does not drink lattes. Yeah, the second yeah. Se- season two. <laughs> the yeah. second season is going to go horribly wrong. Yeah, if yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie um, Cox, very big welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thanks thank you for very talking much. to Thanks us. We've just been chatting with your mum oh, yeah. outside, who's <laughs> absolutely lovely, but she's told us things that you probably wouldn't oh, want don't. us to yeah, tell, yeah, yeah. To tell yeah. us. Yeah. Um, she said she was going to show us a picture of you as a seven-year-old wearing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, that doesn't exist. Costume. She's lying. Actually, actually she, she, it's very true. I was standing on the toilet, looking out the window. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Wistfully. Staying on. Yeah. Staying on. Because we lived on the eighth floor of, a, of an apartment. So, so, of, uh, so, uh, you know, I was looking outside at all the adventures I wasn't having. But um, what's funny about that, incidentally, just a little fun fact I just found out, is the creators of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were huge Daredevil fans. And they decided that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were created when the chemical spillage that turned Matt Murdock into Daredevil. It heightened his senses, went through the drains of Hell's Kitchen wow. into the into the into the sewers, and they turned the uh, Teenage Mutant the, the Turtles into yeah. mutant Ninja Turtles. I wish, and, you, um, I wish you could see my face. I'm yeah, just beaming. It's cool, isn't it? And then you know, so you know the character of Stick who trains Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. So Splinter is of Stick, a Splinter of Stick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My, brain is le- my brain is leaking ooze. <laughs> I wish we could have that button where you press it and Samuel L. Jackson says, everything is connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's amazing. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah. We want to get into the meat of this. Yeah. Your mom has told us everything about season two. She, no, she hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, she hasn't. She, well, maybe she could tell me some stuff about season two. Though, yeah, you I find, don't you find this guy called um, a shredder? <laughs> <laughs> Can you, what, what would you like to see happen in season two? Well, God, I have to be careful here because I'm obviously I have to preface this by saying they have told me nothing at this point. We just got commissioned this morning, so I have no idea what uh, who is going to turn up. I imagine there'll be a, another villain based on the show we've created, which is very grounded in reality. And it's you know, there's I'd like to see you know. I'd like to see Punisher maybe show up. I'd like to see a little bit of Electra maybe. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind Black Widow making an appearance. <laughs> um, you make a reference to Electra like a Greek, a Greek girl. ex-girlfriend. A Greek ex-girlfriend. So yeah. that would be a really nice... Tie, that would tie that in. There'll yeah. be a love triangle of some yeah. sort somehow, I'm yeah. sure. And also, you know, you, you can't really think about Daredevil for too long without thinking, without picturing a Bullseye. No. So I don't know if, if I don't know when and if and how that will happen, but it'll be cool or something like that. There were so many cards on pin boards. Yes. Connecting things together. I was like, I really hope someone picks one up. Yeah. Yeah. And throws it at someone. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. There are a lot of directions it can go in. But I guess, with, I mean, going back to the very beginning, because we first found out about this in, in October 2013, yeah. Netflix and Marvel had got together and they've created yeah. this TV mini Marvel universe. Yeah. Do you, two questions, really. Do, do you, have you been in, in the same room? As Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, yes, yes, I have. I've had a photo with both of them um, at the. So the I was invited to the um, Netflix have a launch party, yeah, for for each show, and they do it at a place in New York called Spin, which is a which is a table tennis club, nightclub, table tennis. But it's fun because if you don't really want to hang around dance, you can play table tennis. I uh, can't see much, but you can. <laughs> um, and uh, they had the similar thing for AKA Jessica Jones, and so I was invited onto that. So I went along and I met Kristen Ritter. Mike Coulter, which was pretty exciting. So we're waiting for the one, the one more member to be announced, the Iron Fist. The final yeah, part, yeah. the final part of the puzzle. Yeah. But I mean, we've got, we've got the Defenders coming yeah. at some point, and we've got season two of Daredevil coming yeah. at yeah. some point. Do you know what the chronology is going to be? Well, it'll be, de- I, I will be Daredevil 2 first. Right. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll begin shooting that the second half of this year, so, so it would be the same timeline as, as the last show. So probably, I imagine, season two will come out about the same time as this show came out next year, in 2016. Um, I'm imagine, again, I'm imagining all this, but they'll probably do uh, Iron Fist or Luke Cage at the same time. And then they'll do, in first half of next year, they'll probably do the other one, the one they haven't done yet, the mm. final of the four. And then I guess maybe the second half of 2016 or the beginning of 2017, we might do Defenders. That's just, I'm just guessing, you know, but... It's exciting because it's really good so yeah, far. I mean, it, we've yeah, it's really good. Well, and I think what's exciting for me about doing a second season of Daredevil for us and for the fans as well is if you've seen the first season, you know that it's really an evolution into Daredevil. Mm. You know, it takes 
it's you know you're really meeting a guy. We've got a lot of time in Origin. We're really seeing this this guy from when he first starts this kind of vigilante activity into the, you know putting on the suit for the first time. So it'd be nice before we get to the defenders to have a season where he's really embodying that 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 alter ego and the character of Daredevil. And this has been a success, as we've said. It's been very popular. We're liking it a lot, and that means it's great. So. How has it been having people in the street recognise you for Daredevil? Not one single person has recognised me. Are for Daredevil. you kidding yeah. me? And let me say, so yesterday I was coming back from, um, uh, I was on the Eurostar, and I went, to, I got up from my chair, and I went to the to the loo, and there was a guy two seats in front of me who was watching Daredevil, <laughs> and he was on episode eleven, right? Okay, and and I went to the loo, and I came back, and I had the whole carriage to walk back, and I came to the door and walking, and he looks up and looks at me for about ten seconds absolutely no sign of recognition. He goes back to looking at his screen, and when I get past him, I turn around, he's looking at a close-up of my face. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually incredibly encouraged by this, because obviously, you don't, you know, I don't want, really want my daily life to be affected so much, you know, and I go on the subway every day, I go on the tube every day, you know, to work, or to the gym, or wherever I'm going, you know. And so, because I wear a mask for so much, and when I'm not wearing a mask, I've got the glasses, I've, I'm scared cautiously optimistic that I'm not that recognisable. Just never Which... wear glasses because if they do, people will recognise <laughs> yeah, your chin. Can... <laughs> They'll see, oh, I know that chin, I know it. Um... So if I put on a mask that yeah. covers most of my face, everyone will go, Daredevil! Daredevil! <laughs> How did I know? Yeah. yeah, if you'd gone back to the loo and come back with the mask yeah. on and walked past him nonchalantly, yeah. Yeah. that would have freaked that yeah. would have freaked his day out, yeah. I'm sure. Just talk about the chronology quickly. I mean, October 2013, the thing was announced. When did you audition? When did you sort of come on board officially and, so, and know about it for the first time, I guess? So I, I, I did put myself on tape in New York uh, for Mock Sides, nothing to do with Daredevil. I, hadn't, I never read a Daredevil comic. Um, so I didn't, didn't what, know anything what, about it. What's a side? Sorry. So when there's secrecy involved around a script, they, they, don't, um, they don't just release the script to you. Uh, uh, they, they, they type up a, a pretend pages, pretend yeah. scenes. My character's called uh, Bill, I think, as in Bill Everett. Okay. You know, who was one of the one of the you know him and Stanley start did the first ever oh, that's great. comic right, and so uh, and it's a scene that doesn't exist in any of the episodes. They just wrote it for, the, for audition purposes. So I was sent that. I did a little bit of background reading. I put myself on tape. I was then I was then I was asked to Skype with Jeff Lowe, the head of Marvel Television, and had a conversation with him. I then was flown to Los Angeles to do three or four days of auditioning with different with different Foggies and different Karens and different Mats. So know. this without telling you at any point that you'd got it necessarily. I still at this point still hadn't got it. Yes, at this point I still hadn't got it. And then I was allowed to read episode one and two before I signed a contract. But even when you sign the contract, you still haven't got the job. Four or five of you sign the contract, and then they have the final rounds, and then they. They, they either give you the job and your contract... Because they don't want you to get the job and then suddenly say, actually, I don't want it, or suddenly try and, you know... Yeah. So you sign the contract early. I finally got the job. When I'd got the job, I went straight to New York because I had about a month to start training and start yeah. doing all the work and everything. I went straight to New York and I was having lunch with... Uh, I was asked to lunch with Joe Quesada, who's, uh, who was the editor-in-chief for years of, of Marvel and one of, and one of the guys who kind of re, rebooted um, Daredevil... A wonderful uh, artist and writer for the, for the Marvel comics. Had lunch with him, and he said to me, after this ordeal, he said yeah. to me, uh, "I'm so glad uh, we cast you. I saw you in Bobble Empire and I thought he's perfect." And I just sent an email to the to the uh, to, to Drew Goddard, you know, and, and Jeff Loeb. And I thought, oh wow, nice. <laughs> uh, I guess I owe you one. This uh, dinner's on me then. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Wow, that yeah. is high pressure. Yeah. And at, at what point during these uh, these moments of auditioning, this, these weeks of auditioning, were you actually doing physical stuff? Not very much of it. There was no point where you had to backflip off a wall. Or, no, thank God. I don't remember doing it any anything like that. I think they asked you know they asked me some questions about it. Mm. I've done quite a lot in other in other. Obviously, they'd seen Boardwalk. I was quite physical in that, and I you know I. I'd done quite a bit in the, over the years in different bits and bobs and films. I, I love all that, so I was like, I'm up for it. Well, as soon as I got the job, the first thing I said, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not naive. I understand that these things are, you know, how these things work, and obviously there are insurance issues, etc. But I really, it's important to me to be able to do as much as you'll allow me to do. And they were great. They were really, you know, they, they, whenever there was a free moment, we, I trained on. There's a, there's an, a scene in episode seven where, for, I, without giving too much away, there's, I don't wear a mask in it, and uh, and of course I had to do almost all of that. So that was that was really that was really fun. Are there any particular moments where you go when you were watching it and going, "That's me," and I look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a roundhouse kick, and that's definitely me. There's there's two. I, I can't do a roundhouse kick, not in the way that not in the way that Chris Brewster does. But I always said. Chris Bruce is my stunt double, sorry. But I always said, I want to try it. And there's one that made it in that I'm quite proud of. Um, I'm not going to say which one it is, but there is one roundhouse that was, that was, that was not so terrible that it actually could, it could work. Yeah. Listeners, you have a challenge. Yeah. Rewatch Daredevil and find the roundhouse kick. You might like this. There's a scene where there's a moment in one of the fight scenes where I, we, throw, we fall, me and the guy fall onto a coffee table. And the way they do that is they have these coffee tables called breakaways. So they built, they look exactly like a, the coffee table in the set. They're made of balsa wood. And if you touch them, they, 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 they fall into nothing. And you normally have three, so it's very important to get it right. Otherwise, you, you know, you, you, if you don't get it right on one of those three, you don't have any more coffee tables to fall into. <laughs> so we got it right on the first one. So I said, so my, that was my stunt double. So I said, look, guys, you've got two more. Can, we, can I have a go? <laughs> and they let me have a go. So that was yeah. Quite yeah. I was going to say, you would not necessarily be able to spot it, but if you were watching, you know, one of your mates watching you with it on the sofa... You would definitely point out that's know. my roundhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about because yeah. I've never seen you did all of them. I guess. <laughs> yeah. The, the just a little bit about the accoutrements of the character, mm. the the vigilante suit. Do you mm. think we'll ever see that again? Have you got to keep it? I know. So I've no idea. Um, I've no idea. It would be a shame. It would be a shame for that to have been the last time I wore it because it was it was it was incredibly comfy for a start, but also it was um, <laughs> it, it's 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 very it's very badass, isn't it? It's very yeah. ninja. But at the same time, you know, we've maybe we've we had a lot of time in it, so. So maybe it's time that we, you know, we 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 spend more time. I think I think if when when we pick up from season two, I think obviously Matt will be in the costume. Um, I, my question again, I, again, I must say that I have no idea whether this is the case or not. But I, my question is whether that suit will evolve to include the DD at yes. some point. I was going to say the sunglasses yeah. are much more, much more sort of slightly psychedelic sixties yeah. uh, shades than the, yeah. the Ben Affleck iteration, obviously, right. which is a bit more. 90s feeling which I liked did you have any input into those or um, I, I, what do they say about the you character know, you know when you try on sunglasses if you buy sunglasses when you try them on it's impossible to know if they look good because you can't see anything in the shop <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean so I, I, I they, someone one of the producers came around to, the, to my apartment with a, three or four suitcases of sunglasses and, uh, and just put on every single one and took a photo and then they went and they uploaded that to all the producers and they chose and the ones Whoa. they chose I was very happy with I thought you know I thought it was what I liked about the ones they chose is that it, it says something about Matt Murdock it says something about my character that he you know he's they're kind of John Lennon-ish you know what yeah. I mean there's something there was something that helped me in that they weren't standard yes. red glasses they were, they were there's, a, there's a you know there's a bit of style in there it's mm. got it's, it, there's a th- there's a thought process behind it, which I thought was cool. Now, we do love the show, as we said, and this is an unusual one. For listeners, we, we're having a spoiler special about Daredevil where we're getting into the nitty-gritty. Okay. And, and you were featuring on that as well. So that's okay. coming in a second. But All just right. to just to sort of 
maybe end with some of the stuff that you've done previously, which yeah. is a lot. We saw you in The Theory of Everything, yeah. um, where you played a kind of a foggy to Jane and <laughs> Stephen Hawking <laughs> yeah, character, um, in a way. I mean, it was not to, not to in any way kind of be glib about it, because it was a beautiful moving movie. Yeah. Um, you're also still in the Downton Abbey-verse, aren't you? Uh, is that a verse now? I, well, decide, I've just created that the, it, but it kind of, I is suppose. It, is it, is I mean, it, your character's out there somewhere, yeah. I suppose. You're not aware of the spin-off series, okay? <laughs> the, the Duke of Cobra. You didn't read the contract, <laughs> did you? Uh, yeah. The Duke of Cobra gets badass yeah. in season whatever season they're on. He becomes a ninja. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, fu- it's a funny one, really, because a lot of people mention that uh, when, you know, asked me about it. And I was in one episode, you know, I yeah. the pilot. But the pilot? Yeah. Did you have any sense that it was going to, I mean, like, God, it's no. not going? No, <laughs> absolutely none. You know, I mean, I think... I, 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 I remember we got emails uh, when, and by, you know, by the time the emails came out and the show was aired, you know, I've long since departed and with no yeah. hope of returning. I mean, you know, in the first episode, I, I snub Lady Mary. The chances of coming back yeah. are very, very slim. But uh, no, it's been amazing that they've done so well. I mean, it's, it's, and I really enjoy the show. I think, you know, I think they've, uh, they, you know, it's, especially in America, it's humongous. Huge. Well, speaking huge. of things that perhaps aren't huge in America, we read that you were actually more of a Dandy Beano comic book fan. Oh, this is, I'm so glad you brought this up. I'm in a, I'm in, I feel like I'm in real trouble because I, I, apparently I said in an interview uh, that I, I, apparently I put down the Beano and the Dandy. I don't remember doing it. I was in, you know, I'm on this press tour. I've been to 15, 16 different countries and I've done so many interviews and apparently I said the Beano and the Dandy, uh, I, I put them down and I, I just want to set the record straight. I love the Beano and Dandy. I grew up on the Beano mm. and the Dandy. I'm, I'm, I find it totally sad that Dandy isn't around anymore. But the Dennis and Menace is, a, is you know, was one of my heroes. So I read a quote where you said the Bass Street kids could basically go do one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I mean, saw, I may be misquoted. Well, Plug is a dick. I saw a headline that just said Brit actor slams no. beloved <laughs> British comic, pans them or something. I thought, oh god, I feel awful because I love those comics. Roger you know? the Dodger is a rotter, says yeah, yeah. Charlie Cox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I don't see yeah. it. I think Desperate Dan yeah. could 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 wash yeah. his face in the Marvel verse potentially. Yeah. Can't wait for that crossover. Make it happen, someone. Did, maybe there you go. Going back to the villain question, maybe we can have a we can have a a, a, a dandy or a Beano villain come in. If you want to hear more of Charlie Cox talking about the spoilerific events of Daredevil, uh, tune into our Daredevil spoiler special, which is up on Monday and has us discussing the uh, the show's ins and outs and whatnot, but also has lots of Cox as well. Uh, so there you go. All good. Uh, let's move on to what? You're disgraceful. I'm not. <laughs> an awful man. There's a... Okay. Don't make me walk out again. <laughs> <laughs> Movie news. Let's start with the big one. The big one everyone's talking about. Mm. The news that E.L. James' husband is writing <laughs> the screenplay for Fifty Shades Darker. I don't this know is... anything about this, but that's exciting. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to make a sequel to Fifty Shades of Grey, which apparently we are, sure, why not? I mean, the, the guy, uh, yes, his name is Niall Leonard. He's uh, he's a British TV screenwriter. Mm-hmm. So he has yeah. uh, some, you know, solid, solid credentials there. Wire in the Blood, Wild at Heart, Monarch of the Glen, Hornblower... Great well, show. So, <laughs> exactly. said you have to write Fifty Shades. <laughs> what does? And the bill, which is you know, we're tying all this together. So it, it's happening. We can't stop it. Um, and uh, and and he he should be, I would hope, a, a decent decent yeah. writer. The main thing to note about this one is that there begins to be the glimmerings of a of a thriller subplot uh, in this film uh, in this in this story. Do tell. Um, well, it's really not worth it, but there's like a stalker angle and which comes to a head in the third book. Um, it's it doesn't matter though. Like it, it, none of it matters. There's nothing Anyway, fine, whatever. Um, so, so that, I guess that's this... a spot on <laughs> pressy of the of the second book. There, my anticipation is building. 
So, um, um, so yeah, so this one will should really hew pretty closely to the third story as well. So actually, I wouldn't be surprised if what they do is actually have him write both kind of back to back. And if they had any sense, they'd actually film them back to back as well, because they're much of a piece, these two. How much... Mm. Rumpy pumpy, can we expect in this one? Um, yes. Put your trousers back on. <laughs> <laughs> I, there will yeah. again be rumpy pumpy. I, I mean, what do you want to know? When I saw this film yes. at the cinema, mm-hmm. in a cinema that was, that was oddly full of elderly people, yeah, it was crammed with with old old people. It More Max in the Apple Store. I was I was kind of surprised because I hadn't read the book. Sure. I was surprised by how much how many scenes there were in the film involving mums. All the characters' mums seem to turn up, which I yeah. didn't expect. Yeah. Uh, is there more of that? Uh, yes, there is. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, you would kind of hope there is because they sort of cast quite good actors in those roles and then they had almost nothing to do in the first film. So they really should come back mm-hmm. um, in, in the second and third ones. Uh, all of those supporting characters, including her friends. And Rita Ora. Uh, Rita Ora as like well. Ora. She might have, a, might have a second line this time. Who knows? <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. But I just, I can't get worked up about them. It's Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm sure it's happening. One of the reasons I wanted to start off with Fifty Shades of Grey is because, hey, guess what? There's a bit of comic book news this week. What? And I didn't want to just start with that because, you know. So Spider-Man is yeah. happening again, yes. as we know. And today it was intimated that five young actors are in the running to possibly... <laughs> get offered a chance to test a Spider-Man. This is one of the most convoluted things ever. But uh, amongst those actors, two Brits. Ta-da! Before you begin. Oh, before you late. Listen, I've already begun. Bef- oh, before you continue beginning. <laughs> um, they're quite... All five actors are young. Yes. Is the idea that... Maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but is the idea that the kid at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2 who watches Spidey fighting the rhino... Yes. It, does he become the next Spider-Man? No. Is that right? No, this is Peter yeah. Parker. Okay, yes, Peter Parker. Okay, right. and this the, is this is the new live action Spider Man because there's another complication, which is the they're now in, in, making an animated Spider Man with Phil Lord and Chris Miller behind. So the all the of stuff one. with Oscorp and all this, all the stuff they set up in the last film is just erased. Or is it? Do we know this, Chris? Yes. Right. They're just starting again. again. Yes. Yeah. They are. Again, a third yes. reboot, but not doing an origin story. Not doing an origin story. Thank yes. Goodness. Forget what you thought you knew. Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man Two, they're gone, they're done. Which makes that one of the most, one of the least satisfying blockbusters that I can remember for a long yeah. time, because so much of that film was dedicated to setting stuff up for the next one. Mm-hmm. Wow, kind that's... of ends on a cliffhanger, and yeah. Okay, yeah. so tell us about the, these actors. Who are we looking at? Okay, well, funny enough, I'm looking at them right now uh, on the uh, network of CCTV cameras I've installed in their houses. <laughs> uh, uh, we're, we're looking at Nat Wolf. Okay. Um, from the Fault in Our Stars and yes. uh, so on. Indeed. Pretty good actor. Uh, we're Seems looking at, to be breaking through. We're looking at Aza Butterfield of Ender's okay. Game. Ender's Game, yeah. And whatnot. We're looking at Tom Holland uh, mm-hmm. of uh, The Impossible fame, who's uh, very good. Two Brits there. We're looking at Timothy Chalamet, or Chalamet. From Interstellar. Mm-hmm. He was the one who coughed. Oh, yeah. uh, coughed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was the one who coughed. <laughs> the one who coughed. I am the one who coughs. <laughs> and we're looking at uh, Liam James who uh, was in The Way, Way Back. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was Tony Collette's son. Yes, he was good in that. Yeah, very good. And they're all young. Yeah. Um, they're all going to play, you know, they're not all going to play Peter Parker, unless, of course, they do it like an I'm Still Here approach. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. And, uh, of course, the, the story indicates that they, they may not be the only five 
in contention to play Peter Parker but that, that seems to be where they're going I'm personally glad that they're going younger uh, with this one Feige has already said that that's precisely the uh, dynamic they want so that they have this young precocious kid who has a secret identity that's not mm. forget that's also something that's, that's going to be not unique to the Marvel Universe because of Daredevil but unusual. very unusual yeah. and he'll be in a scene with Iron Man or you know a 40 50 something guy who's incredibly rich and I like that dynamic. That's gonna be that's gonna be fun. Or Captain America, who's a living god, and you're gonna have this young, young boy. So yeah, it could could be good fun. And the other news as well is that yeah, there is. Uh, it kind of feels weird. This one, uh, I like it. I like the idea of it, but mm-hmm. it kind of just feels weird to me at the same time. So it's gonna be Sony last night announced also a Spider-Man animated movie, uh, which will come out in 2018, a year after the Spider-Man reboot. Okay which will be written and produced by, maybe not written, but certainly going to write the treatment, by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who are fantastic and can do no wrong. It will be produced, and this is the interesting thing, it will be produced by Avi Arad, Matt Tomac, the producers of Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2. And Avi Arad, of course, was Mr. Marvel, and then he left. Um, Yeah. uh, And he produced all the Marvel stuff, pre-Marvel Studios. Uh, And uh, Amy Pascal, it was recently the head of, of, of Sony. She's producing both Spider-Man movies. The interesting thing seems to be that this is not in the continuity. Interesting. Uh, it was intimated initially it was going to be, and then they're, now they're saying, no, it's not. It's going to be its own thing. But is it in the continuity of the Lego movies? <laughs> because I this could potentially be Lego Batman uh-huh. v Cartoon Spidey uh-huh. Dawn <laughs> yeah. of animation <laughs> um, I ran out Donimation. of Donimation yeah, Donimation Donimation why not that would be awesome why not everything would be awesome everything is awesome Helen say something more serious um, <laughs> and important than wise to say I mean it, it's kind of it is interesting I guess um, right okay let's look at the positives first first of all Chris uh, Chris Miller Phil Lord you're right can do no wrong um, so far so far second of all uh, I mean there's something to be said for like animated Spider-Man I, that's the one I grew up watching um, do you remember when he used to hang out with Iceman and Firestar? Spider-Man. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah, and, um, and yeah. Those, were, those were actually kind of cool. And maybe there's something to be said for having a film that's for kids with superheroes in, like just for kids, like not trying to cross over and necessarily massively appeal to us. I mean, I'm sure we'd enjoy it as well because they're really funny guys, but maybe we shouldn't be front and centre. And maybe there's something to be said for Spider-Man not being gritty and realistic and and even an, you know an older teenager maybe there's something to be said in making something that is primarily for the seven-year-olds out there they and maybe that's what they're doing and that's why it's not tied to anything maybe lord and miller obviously did clone high which is an animation which is probably yeah. more for adults than for kids but amazing for everyone yeah so that's encouraging and i mean i know lego worked for us but i think it also worked majorly majorly mm. well for tiny kids as well so um I don't know. Uh, it's a, it's a bit weird to have two continuities going on at once, but given how complicated mm. these mega franchises are getting, maybe there's something to be said for having something that stands on its own. Mm. Possibly, it, it may. Who knows? Maybe it won't stand on its own. Maybe ultimately it will have the the kid who's going to be Spider Man, voicing this Spider Man, or maybe this will focus on an older Spider Man. Who knows? We'll 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 find out in due course. But what also seems to me is, you know, and this has been something that's been going on for a few years now. The uh, desperation of studios to follow the Marvel model mm. of shared universes and uh, sometimes when you don't have the intellectual property to make that happen 
it can lead to a straining and and I do feel at the moment that Sony in particular are really chasing they need they really want a shared universe they really want something that can spin out into multiple movies uh, and they went they kind of went down that route before with Spider-Man with you know Sinister Six and Venom and all that stuff which never yeah. just didn't materialise and they and uh, you know who knows they're, they're maybe going to try and do that again with this one um, but also this week which was very very interesting they announced and this was <laughs> this is fun uh, they announced a Another shared universe based on comic books uh, from Valiant Entertainment. Uh, so, adaptations of comics called Bloodshot and Harbinger, which will will come in 2017. Both Bloodshot and Harbinger, I'm, I'm reading here from the Hollywood Reporter story. Mm-hmm. Both Bloodshot and Harbinger, uh, Bloodshot, which will be directed by David Leach and Chad Stahelski uh, oh, of John Wick fame. Excellent. So, okay, some interest there, definitely. Uh, executive produced by Matthew Vaughn. And this is this is my problem. Uh, by putting the cart before the horse slightly both Bloodshot and Harbinger will receive two features each before fifth movie Harbinger Wars will bring both properties together okay why don't you just make one film and see if people want to see it and then announce another one Mm. which is kind of and people would go well Chris how can you say that when Marvel have announced uh, what they're doing for tea in 2025 (laughs) yes but they put a platform out first and made sure that people wanted to see their product before they had the confidence to announce films going six years uh, into the future uh, five years into the future actually uh, they didn't announce if you go back and you look at what they did with phase one and phase two they didn't announce everything as a whole they announced things piecemeal if yeah. Iron Man and Incredible Hulk had tanked there would be no Marvel Studios so they didn't announce Avengers Feige always said if these movies hit we can build towards the Avengers. But he didn't come out and go, here's Iron Man in 20, 20, 2008, Avengers is coming in 2012. Didn't do that. And I, you know, these movies could be cool, could be fun, but I just make one and then you, see what happens. You do start getting fatigue when when you know that there's this long series sprawling in front of you. I mean, even even the Avengers, which I very much enjoyed, yeah. when they when you know they do start setting up Infinity Wars, and I kind of thought, oh, I've got two more. Yeah. And you kind of want to finish the movie and absorb the that movie. Yeah. and then start thinking about it later rather than have trailers for the next two in the movie you're watching. Yeah. That's how I feel anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. One, one of her colleagues uh, uh, tweeted the other day going, uh, came out of Avengers, loved Avengers, not sure, uh, not sure I, I could watch another one. That's how I feel. To which I replied, yeah, but you know, it's three years before the next one. But, yeah, but, but at the, the same fact time they're setting it up now makes you feel a bit kind of overwhelmed by it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it... it, it, it it is a it is a problem, isn't it? It's like, are we going to get a little bit wearied and a little bit beaten down by every studio trying to do this? Whether it's Universal, whether you know Monsters shared universe, or whether it's Sony work with Ghostbusters or trying to make a Ghostbusters universe happen, or trying to make a Spider Man universe happen. Now they're trying to make this happen, and you have uh, you know different studios. I have said in the past, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we get Bond spin offs at some point, or you know Bond shared universe, or but it's everything. I mean, it's everything. Fast and Furious, even Avatar. I'd probably be looking forward to Avatar two a bit more if I didn't know there was Avatar two three and four coming and you just feel <laughs> yeah. like oh my gosh because this, this wasn't the way things worked back in you know we're dating ourselves here pod <laughs> listeners but this wasn't the way things worked back in the 80s or 90s well, films were made yeah. with string films were yeah <laughs> films, films were made entirely by puppets um, it was such a such a different time but you know they didn't go this is a weird example but they didn't produce Die Hard going in nine, two years time John McClane will return in Die Hard 2 yep 
Well, also, even if they were thinking about these things, even if they were thinking about sequels, they had the wit to not mention it. And I think the, what, what's changed now is essentially, I think it's partly the business model, it's partly the, uh, you know, the, the shareholders of the studios and the desire to keep them happy that's kind of changed, that they're announcing this so they look like they're forward planning and they look like they're thinking about things. I mean, there was that crazy statistic last week that after the Star Wars trailer debuted, um, Disney stock rose by $2 billion. That oh. is insane I craziness. hold a lot of Disney stock I'm surprised <laughs> that was well, purely you I mean yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> press the wrong number on your phone and, <laughs> but you know that is um, that is a testament to how much this you know how much attention the market is now oh, paying yeah. to this kind of forward planning and that is kind of distorting what's what's happening when as a I result. was on the set of the Brett Ratner Hercules film one of the producers said to me um, if this isn't a franchise if this doesn't become a series we failed and clearly it's yeah. not going to be a series I imagine so they have failed but there's that they have to have just one film isn't enough no mm. but even by saying that I mean it's a decent enough but okay so- film but now it feels like they've failed feels like a failure yeah, yeah but you don't know like uh, maybe in a year's time or two years time the DVD rentals or whatever on that in, film in might have, yeah. might have yeah. done done okay enough to look at Percy Jackson for goodness yeah. sake that got a second film. Uh, it seems to me there's almost a level that a film has to get to now at the box office. Maybe about 400 million worldwide seems to be the magic number. So that's why we're getting Pacific Rim too. And I think they look at that and they go, oh, "If it's 400 million, okay, we can now look at international growth." And in fact, Pacific Rim two made a hundred million alone in China. That was a big thing the studios yeah. will look at that and go okay well maybe now if we have a sequel and it's inbuilt and they look at the Fast and Furious model yeah. which has just exploded now they think okay there's potential room for growth here so you never know you might get a Hercules thing but uh, fingers yeah, crossed Nick I, I, I do think all, you know, the, all your favourite characters are back <laughs> Hercules the other <laughs> the, the other, other ones, ones. <laughs> Ian McShane did he die in the first one Probably, who knows? <laughs> the, the lion that was it wasn't a real lion. Yeah, we're no closer to getting the Lovejoy cinematic universe, and that is a massive shame. I walked down the street behind him yesterday, and How he was close? wearing uh, like ten feet, and he was wearing he a feet. black leather jacket. And I was thinking to myself, <laughs> if you had played Lovejoy for all that time, would you not avoid black leather jackets? <laughs> To, to stay a bit anonymous. To be fair, this is the only country in the world in which people bring up Lovejoy. <laughs> you know, it's like if he goes to the, if he goes to the states, he's Al Swearingen or Blackbeard. Yeah, from... but then wouldn't you keep your black leather jacket in the states? That's all I'm saying. True, that's that's a good point. But it must be only here you go. Oh, Lovejoy! Oh <laughs> God, that was 25 years ago. For the love of God, I'm a serious actor. Um, speaking of <laughs> speaking of big slates, massive slates, huge roofs, uh, Disney. Uh, unsipped or fly and and yeah this is extraordinary so they yesterday had a presentation at CinemaCon in Las Vegas where our James Dyer has been whooping it up for the last five days or so uh, and so they they just did a big graphic with all their movies coming out of the next uh, I'm looking up here six years I'm going to say mm-hmm. five, four years sorry alright so we have Avengers Age of Ultron Tomorrowland Inside Out Ant-Man Bridge of Spies, Spielberg and Hanks, uh, The Good Dinosaur, more Pixar, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Uh, then we have Disney, The Finest Hours. Uh, that's one I'm not entirely sure what that is. Uh, we have Zootopia, then The Jungle Book, uh, which is now their sort of live action animation shared universe. Uh, Captain America, Civil War. We have Alice Through the Looking Glass, Finding Dory, Mona, another animated movie, Beauty and the Beast, Moana, which has I think, isn't it? sorry Moana, my mistake. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, which has an astonishing mm, cast. Amazing. 
um, Bill Stanley Condon's. Stanley Tucci just joined it. Stanley Tucci, Ewan McGregor, uh, who else? Gugu Mbatha Raw, Emma Watson, Ian McKellen, Dan Stevens, Luke Evans, so many spirit, Kevin Klein, so many spirit animals in, that, in one movie. It's extraordinary. Uh, Ghost in the Shell, the BFG, Pete's Dragon, Star Wars Rogue One, Doctor Strange, Star Wars Episode Eight, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men, Tell No Tales, Toy Story 4, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And that's just the next three years alone. Wow, they're they're. I'm I'm so sorry. They're going to be in in real difficulties. That yeah, is, whew, a lot of those. Cells in there. A lot of potential billion dollar. Yeah, or two billion. We were talking about this, weren't we? Mm. About how one billion is is no longer that impressive. Yeah, chicken feed. <laughs> yeah, it's chicken nothing. feed. Well, it's, it's almost the point where uh, you know. It used to be 100 million in the States was like the big landmark and a film would take ages to get there. And now if you don't make 100 million and you open it again, you're kind of like, oh, you failed. Uh, now it's almost 1 billion worldwide is, is fast becoming that, that, that landmark. Fast um, and furiously becoming that landmark in 17 days. Abs- absolutely. Which I think, you know, I, will Avengers beat it? Maybe. Will it beat it to a billion? But Avengers opens here before it opens in the States. So it's not going to get that massive, whoa, um, that's a very Greg Wallace noise, but what can you do? I've been watching a lot of MasterChef. Um, but that, that slate is just insane. Mm, that's um, bananas. Yeah. Um, Beauty and the Beast sounds great. Sounds really, really great. Hope it's good. A uh, couple of other things to get through. Uh, Non-comic book related. Vince Gilligan mm. to direct a Jack and the Beanstalk. I mean, what, you know, it, it's obvious, isn't it? Breaking Bad to Jack and the Beanstalk. Like, that's... That's pretty much the Breaking step we, we expected him to take, isn't it? Yeah, he gets yeah. the best blue beans, <laughs> cooks them up in an RV. Yeah. If all the giants are played by the villains from Breaking Bad, <laughs> I am so in. I want to see Tuco, the guy who played Tuco, just as a deranged ogre. That'd be amazing. That would be good. Take, take, take. But yeah, but this is, this is, of course, another Disney live-action uh, fairy tale. Um, so kind of fitting into that that yeah. thread of their strategy I guess yeah Vince Gilligan though Jack and the Jack and the Beanstalk I mean Jack the Giant Slayer didn't exactly set the world on fire no um, it was rubbish so <laughs> it really was I was trying to be nice but yeah it really was um, so so maybe this will will actually be a little bit more successful selfishly I'm disappointed by this news because I really want Vince Gilligan to go back to the X-Files and write some episodes <laughs> of the of the reboot so I don't know if he's going to have time to do that now but um, do you think he'd want to do that Earth. Why? Why wouldn't he? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to write more dialogue for Mitch Pelleggi as A.D. Walter Skinner? <laughs> Answer me that. Um, <laughs> Vince Gilligan just seems to be everything he everything he does is is great at the moment. Same with Mitch Pelleggi. Same with Mitch Pelleggi. <laughs> Absolutely. Sounds great. Mm, Sounds great. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Very exciting. And the last thing we're going to discuss in grown up uh, serious uh, movie news: Tom Cruise and Doug Liman are reteaming uh, on a movie. Obviously, they made Edge of Tomorrow together. Because when life gives you lemon, you make lemonade. Good God, that's that's, ooh. that's an actual line I wrote in a review. Anyway, <laughs> um, I am quoting myself because that line wasn't given the credit it deserved. Uh, I'm now bringing it to a wider audience. You're championing yourself. <laughs> I am. <laughs> if I were interviewing myself, Krishna Guru Murthy style, I'd Would bring you? up that line seven years later and then I'd walk out of my own. High five yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's a real life pick. It's not necessarily a biopic, but it's called uh, Mina. And it's a uh, about a, a pilot guy called Barry Seal who was recruited by the CIA uh, to kind of keep an eye on the the communist threat in Central America. This is in the eighties, around the time of 
uh, of the Iran-Contra scandal, and it was a apparently huge covert CIA operation. I don't know that much about it, to be honest, but uh, uh, it, it nearly eventually brought down the the Reagan administration. Spoiler, it didn't, but nearly did. And uh, <laughs> so it's, it's very interesting. Obviously, not a sci-fi, uh, not a fantasy movie. It's a, a real-world movie. Uh, Cruz, I presume, will play Barry Seal. What if he's real Seal? That'd be amazing. Mm. Or, um, no. Cruz and Lyman uh, and Donald Gleeson is also in talks to join that movie as well. Oh, so, that's excellent. That's exciting. On board, on board. There was that. a movie, this is nothing to do with your news story, but there was, there was a movie I wrote, remember writing about years ago that never got made, but it was genius. The, it was called Navy Seals, and it was about the Navy recruiting actual Seals to do a mission. <laughs> and I remember we did a, an amazing Photoshop of it in the magazine. That never got been, made. Oh, Terrible. Probably because our Photoshop made them think, well, yeah, we, can't, we beat can't beat that. that. We so, can't beat that. Yeah. Just a couple of very quick uh, sci-fi TV stories. They are making a TV version of Galaxy Quest because no reason, leave it alone, it's a classic. And, <clears throat> sorry, they're making a TV version of Galaxy Quest. Just to leave that it alone. Doesn't work. Yeah. Um, anyway, and then uh, Simon Pegg has been talking this week a little bit about the rumored Star Trek Beyond. That is apparently the title of the next Star Trek film. It's certainly better than Into Darkness. So w- well done on that. Um, there are ever-growing rumors that Idris Elba will be playing the villain, and uh, Pegg slightly seemed to confirm that this week or at least um, seemed to confirm that he was in talks when he said we're trying to write him a kick-ass role in relation to uh, a question about Elba. So um, so fingers crossed for that. That would uh, that would be a heck of an adversary for the Enterprise to go up against. And apparently this one, we are told, will actually have Star Trekking, which is yes, exciting. Outside of this solar system, like another place, which is very exciting indeed. They will boldly go where no one has gone before. That's right. Next generation, kid. Star Wars. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, that was uh, uh, just an onslaught of news. It really was. Sorry. That was so much news. Hollywood, take the week off. I think you've earned it, which cuts to Hollywood releasing massive news amid this podcast goes live tomorrow. Uh, or today. If you're listening to today, if you're listening to tomorrow, then that makes sense. Uh, right. We're all confused now, I'm yes. sorry. All good, Helen. Don't worry. Not as confusing as last week's non-announcement about the thing I was not going to announce if it didn't happen, which it didn't happen, so I didn't announce it. Does that make sense? No, I, d- I don't know. Okay. I think I'm broken. Should we have a it was your pants interview? party. So <laughs> it's just as well that it got cancelled. It got shut it's, down by the authorities. It's, it's an open invitation to the pants party. <laughs> if anyone wants to just come around, I have many pants. Paul Bettany has been a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from the very beginning as the voice of Tony Stark's virtual fallet or fallet. Yeah, some people say fallet. It is a fallet. You say fallet parking. You don't yeah. say fallet parking. True. Jarvis. Uh, but he graduates to the physical realm as the Vision in this week's Avengers Age of Ultron, giving the Brit actor one of his more interesting and unique roles in a career that's taken in everything from Gangster Number 1 to Master and Commander Number 1 and Mordecai Number 1. Sadly, there will be Number no 2, more that was. Mordecai. Oh, come on. Come on, Helen. <laughs> Below the belt. I'm going to do Mordecai face you now. Ugh. <laughs> Terrifying. I went along to speak... I went along to speak to Mr. Bentley this week uh, and asked him hard-hitting questions about his visioning. Enjoy. Can I just get a level from you, Paul? Is that okay? I am talking to you. I like windsurfing and men who can cry. (laughs) I could do one of those two things. How was that? That's not too bad. It's not too bad. Okay, Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Paul Bentley. Hello, sir. How are you? Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you. How are you? Very, very well. Are you recovering from the premiere last night? It was... One of the craziest, I, I can't deny it was fun, but slightly alienating experiences I've ever had. 
you were brought out on the stage for people to gawk at you, and sure. that was essentially what was happening last sure. night. And, you know, in my, this started, I've been to Comic-Con four or five times, and I went to Comic-Con uh, last year, uh, but, you know, with the Avengers, mm. and it was an experience like nothing I've ever had. It, mm. was, it was the sound, after we showed them the clips from the movie, was like a like a hurricane and you were you 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 felt like sort of red meat on the floor with howling howling wolves it was and i thought how can they possibly keep this level of excitement and anticipation up mm. cut to los angeles and london where people are shaking and crying because these pe- people from the movies are turning up and i i i, I have uh, it might be very different for Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And I, people crying. I was like, do you want to go and get a cup of tea, love? Are you all right? You know, it's, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they've been camping out for two days in the bus station. To you know, pe- People have been camping out in the bus station to come and, 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 uh, and, and see this group of superhero actors mm-hmm. You know, trolled out in front of everybody. It's strange. It's, it is strange. I mean, I was uh, I was at the premiere last night, and my friend who I was with, uh, they were showing the highlights on the big screen of people oh. walking out and being ogled and, and applauded. And he said, what goes through their minds in that moment? I mean, it must be, what are you thinking? At that moment, as you walk out on stage, people are applauding. Did I do my flies up? Did you do your flies up? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what's going that's on. It. That's what's going on in my head. I hope yeah. my flies are done up, because I don't want to now... Put my hand on my balls <laughs> and check. Just a quick furtive. Yes, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good to <laughs> we're go. Okay. <laughs> but this this is obviously uh, a new experience for you in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it's as it's now known. You've been on board since the very beginning, but yeah. this is this is different. This is something else. It's totally different. I yeah. mean, um, it, it was uh, initially I had this job where I turned up to be Jarvis in the last, you know two weeks of post-production and I would solve any, my superhero power as Jarvis was to solve any clarity issues that the filmmaker might have that had me solve with shooting a CG and, 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 and so forth. And I would just say it, you yes. know, and, and that was a, so everybody was terribly happy because the problem was solved. And then they gave me a big bag of cash and I went home going, really, is this okay? Cause I, <laughs> I've only done two hours work. I mean, are you, is this all right? And, um, and now I have to actually show up and, in fact, uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. would, uh, you know, poke his head into makeup, mm. and see me getting made up, so I'm still in makeup, huh? And just <laughs> with glee, because, you know, I'd had it so easy for the last seven or eight years or whatever it is, and there I was for three hours in makeup, and he found it very, uh, very amusing. Uh, was there any talk of a, a mo- mo-capping vision at any point? Could you have done that? Oh, I don't know. Uh, no, I think they were really... Um, uh, yeah, I think they were always very clear that they wanted uh, um, a very a human face. Um, why they cast me, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, but um, yeah, and there was lots of... Um, there was entire prosthetics, mm-hmm. but you lost every expression in the in the face and... Mm-hmm. And uh, the vision is quite still, mm-hmm. um, until he's not. 
and and uh, so so we ended up actually um, the prosthetic which came down to under my eyebrows, which was a what they call a bald cap, and then the big prosthetic on top that then came to my jawline. So there was actually from my chin to my eyes open to the air so that they could they could and then they put tracking marks on so that they could carry on the sort of circuitry that happens in the in the prosthetic onto the face um but they found that that was the 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 the, the best way to keep the uh, the sort of humanity in the in the character i i interviewed uh downey for the empire cover feature and he he uh talked about um your first day essentially yeah. your first day on set and you had to jump onto something can't give away what it is or why you were jumping onto it but uh, you sure. had to jump onto something strike a pose yeah a lot of pressure on you what was that experience like well everyone just it was waiting. really hot yeah um it was really really hot and we hadn't realized how hot it was going to be so everything started to come off mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we realized very soon i mean i thought i've got a fight in this and all i'm having to do now is stand up from a crouch and yeah. i am i'm I, I it was literally the hottest i've ever been in my life and they they came up with um actually patty which is uh, one of the producers uh Dorsa said how about those suits that um uh racing car drivers wear which which are like radiators that that pump ice cold water around you oh, so yeah. i i then have one of those uh, you know ever after but it was a, it was a very strange day because you know, as the show went on, we realized that we're going to have to um, cut holes in the in the ears of this prosthetic so that I can hear direction because I literally <laughs> had no idea what anybody was saying to me. And it was very nice. And I, was, I, I came on and, and everybody was sort of smiling. And then Robert Downey appeared to make a speech, uh, you know, about me and say, you know, a welcoming speech. No idea what he said. I was sort of <laughs> nodding and smiling uh, and um, so it was a very strange day because I literally couldn't hear a thing. Apparently, John Favreau turned up at one point when Jarvis, what the fuck have they done to you? John Favreau was there. How yeah. do you know that? Yeah, yeah, sources. Yeah, Mainly Robert Downey Jr. To be fair, right there you go. Uh, yeah, he came. He came on and was. Uh, I think he was blown away because um, I mean, it's been it's been uh, a life changing experience for Downey and Favreau mm-hmm. and. Um, I remember when Favreau rung me up. Um, we had made a film called Wimbledon together, and and he um, he rung me up to uh, ask if I'd like to do this. And he said, "Paul, I'm, I'm making this movie called Iron Man, and um, Iron Man has a has a butler who is a, a computer program. So I need somebody with absolutely no personality." And I thought <laughs> of you. <laughs> <laughs> You're going, are you sure about that, John? I'm in, Favreau. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So at least there's no audition process. At least no, you, there wasn't. You, you nailed that one. It was a casting couch, but I really don't want to go into it. <laughs> um, I was reading about, um, speaking of auditions, I was reading about your audition for uh, A Night's Tale. Or actually it was for The Sin Eater, I believe, for Brian Helgeland. That he, he was impressed so much that he showed it around Hollywood and was so impressed by it that he just gave it to everybody that he could. Well, that was very... Is that true? Is that, do you know if that's true? I, 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 I know that... What I know is that he, he really wanted me to do the Sinita and um, the studio said no. And so he said, I'm not going to make the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he uh, wrote A Night's Tale. 
and then he cast Heath Ledger in it and he said I've got a part for you in it and this is you know what I want you to do and and this is our way in I, I think you're great and I said thank you very much so <laughs> so I auditioned for it and the studio said no and then he flew me back out on his own money mm. and the studio said no and he flew me back out and finally he said I'm not going to make the movie and they went well he's got a track record of not making movies unless we and we've got this young rising star Heath Ledger yes. um, let's just finally say yes yeah to him so it's sort of a, a war of attrition to get them to to um to to say yes to me and i i i owe him um um i owe him a huge amount uh when was the last time you actually auditioned for something it was a very long time ago yeah and that is that that is great mm-hmm. and um and a relief because it's a lot of work that you I always put a lot of work into auditions because you know I, I thought it was, this is a this is about batting averages you know and and I might not the the, the 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 thing that I can't control is whether I'm the most talented person that comes in the room but I can absolutely control being the most prepared person that came in the room so somebody far more talented than me might come in you know uh, hungover and <laughs> flub it and 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 I wouldn't um, but. Um, it's also it, it can also be frustrating because uh, I enjoy the opportunity of being given a chance, you know. Mm. So um, a director might go, "No, no, I think he's great. I think he's great, but he's totally wrong." And and that's why I think this, um, you know, if it weren't for the fact that these things end up online, I do think this self taping thing is just brilliant for actors because they can they can um, self tape their own auditions and send mm. them in and. and um, I think there's real freedom in that. You uh, you recently became a director. I did with, uh, with Shelter, which I believe is coming out in UK later on this year. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, in autumn. Uh, given your experiences as an actor, do you understand the process actors are going through when they audition for you, or how, how does that work? Yes, I think I was very gentle. Um, uh, I it's it was it was it was perhaps the most uncomfortable part of the process for me. Because um, you're judging somebody on, you know, five, ten minutes of work, and it's it's horrifying because <laughs> <laughs> you know how much somebody wants a job, and and you 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 know what it feels like to walk in, and you might be having an off day or or, or whatever. Uh, so yeah, that was really uncomfortable. But I I soon worked out that um, the the supporting parts in my film, if you added them all together, were bigger than my lead actress's part, you know, and you really had to focus on it and really be there and, and work with them and, and, and find um, the, the smaller players in the film that could, that could really deliver because mm. it is, it is, it's a matter of life and death for the, for the movie. I think, you know, mm. you're, t- you're taken so out of it by, by, um, by a bad performance. Oh, know, you. You know? awesome. well, what sort of director are you? Are you a, a shouter, a screamer, a calm? No, I can't bear. Presence? I can't bear shouting. There's no need for it on on, on sets. Um, I'm the sort of director. The thing, funnily enough, the thing I noticed about um, Peter Weir when I worked with Peter Weir on mm. a film called Master and Commander, and uh, he is one of the true geniuses of cinema, in my opinion. And um, 
I noticed that whenever he really knew when the actors were holding the story and when the camera was holding the story. And if the actors were holding the story, if the camera was holding the story, you better be on your fucking mark and, and you better be, you know, but, uh, and, and the takes were for the crew. Yeah. And if the actors were holding the story, the takes were for the actors. And so it's a very simple, uh, camera move, usually on a, on a dolly with no change in depth of field, really. Uh, the, uh, everything would be, sharp 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 and you your you were getting the takes for your performance and i thought that was really smart so i uh, really tried to em- employ that and also i was just really interested in seeing how i think we're in a world now where scripts are so developed and i understand it they're developed to the point where even if the actor doesn't show up the narrative still um is uh is st- st- still works yeah whereas five easy pieces doesn't work without um you know without jack nicholson being brilliant yeah. in front of the camera and and that's scary i also produce the movie so i know it's scary to wait <laughs> to see what your actors are going to do and i really would watch what they were doing and try not to judge it in a way that was well that wasn't what i had in my head but much more um that's interesting and different and really, and this could be more than I had in my head. And does the narrative survive what this actor is giving me? Mm. And, and, and if it did, I would let them run with it. Yeah. And it yeah. was a really interesting experiment and the sort of experiment you can only do for a million bucks. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, precisely. Um, Without someone going like that. All yeah, the time. yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it was, um, it was a really, intense and extraordinary um, journey and I loved it and hated it but I loved it <laughs> mostly mostly loved it there will be a an Avengers Age of Ultron spoiler special uh, coming up uh, not just Paul Bettany but Joss Whedon <gasps> talking at length about pretty much all the film's major talking points uh, and Team Empire will be arguing the toss about it in excruciating detail as well and not all of this Loved it unreservedly. So it just, it won't be a rah-rah Marvel jamboree. Don't worry if you're worried about it. You know, listen in. Someone will be saying something faintly not as positive as <laughs> everyone else's. And then so, you'll walk out. And <laughs> you'll then take I will your mic off out. and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> and then I will hulk out and it won't, it won't end well. Um, that's going to be up in theory. When I say, you know, it's, you know, people still liked it, but they didn't, you know, it's not going to be it's not going to be a love-in. Yeah. It, basically, someone's going to be in the room just trying to stop Helen and I from turning it into a love-in. So <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Uh, that's going to be up, in theory, on May 4th, which is a bank holiday Monday in this country because uh, we don't want to ruin it for everyone before it opens in the States. So we tend to wait with these things until the movie is opened in the States so all our American listeners can, can see the film as well and then join in the fun. But it might go up slightly earlier, so keep an eye out for that one, just in case. Uh, but Age of Ultron is now out in the UK, thanks to Marvel's very welcome policy of opening most of their movies over here first. Uh, so let's talk about it. It is the biggest film in multiplexes for the next few weeks, I would I would wager. I, I really enjoyed the, the first Avengers. Mm-hmm. Really liked it. Something I hadn't seen before on screen, all these, all these guys being recruited one by one and teaming up and mm-hmm. feeling each other out. And, and I thought the action was great. I didn't like this one quite as much I felt like uh, it's, it had a tricky task to follow that up because obviously now they are working as a team so I didn't feel you quite had that same fun dynamic to start the film off 
Um, if you're wondering who's going to be in the spoiler special, <laughs> it may be Nick. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. so what happens in this one? Set, set up the plot for us. So it begins with the Avengers in the middle of a kick-ass action sequence storming Sokovia, Hydra base, mm-hmm. um, and basically they get their hands on Loki's staff. Scepter. Scepter. Yeah, with, scepter. yeah, with the glowing tip. Which leads Tony Stark to uh, create Ultron, a an artificial intelligence program mm-hmm. which he with which he wants to protect the world so mm-hmm. the Avengers no longer need to do their avenging yes but be careful um, what you wish for is uh, his it all goes horribly wrong yeah yeah and uh, soon there is a big metal bastard threatening the <laughs> peace and security of the entire world and uh, there is tons going on in this film it's really difficult to do a, a snappy synopsis just because there is so much there's something like mm. 17 main characters in this one because we now have two new two new characters um, with powers uh, Quicksilver and mm-hmm. Scarlet Witch mm-hmm. and uh, obviously Ultron mm-hmm. turns up and the Vision as well Vision yeah. and so there is there is a lot going on um, I, I enjoyed a lot of it there's, it's really well written again by Joss Whedon really snappy everyone's got great lines um, and some of the action is fantastic I didn't love all of the action but I really like there's a set piece between the Hulk and Tony Stark in his Hulkbuster armour in South Africa mm-hmm. which yeah. is amazing I loved it and it's it's just got great action beats, very funny, great little snippets of dialogue all the way through. I thought that was really inventive. I didn't love the without going into spoilery stuff. The third act I didn't love as much. Okay, it was okay. another gigantic set piece with robots flying around and all kinds. Of, I just felt like I'd kind of seen it before. Okay, in Marvel films, yeah. So sure. I was I I liked it, but we'll, with reservations. We'll get into that on the uh, on the spoiler special. Yeah, I guess that one in more depth. Um, okay, cool. I mean, yeah, uh, Helen, what did you think? Well, I'll be honest. Um, so I, I did write the review, which was a very positive uh, four stars. Um, I I picked up on the same kind of things that, that Nick did. I have a slight reservation just about the setup of the final set piece, although I think it delivers what it does very, very well. Um, and I, f- I feel like this one is much more dense. And uh, especially on, on first viewing, some character motivations seemed a little bit fuzzy to me, some some moments seem to be kind of lost in the mix just because there's so much happening now i have now seen it three times um <laughs> and i can I, yes indeed both of us and i can say that it, it does unfold and it you know once you're once you've kind of absorbed some of the big stuff that's happening and you have mm. time to kind of really listen to little moments of dialogue a few moments play much more clearly now than they did mm. now, I, that's not to completely negate the criticism because of course films should deliver first time around but this is a film that rewards uh, further viewings because it is just so packed and I think that's what's it's that's what's really impressed me in some ways I, just as a critic about this is is how layered everything is like the jokes not only make you laugh they also generally say something about the character and they often say something about the plot and they often move things forward and I think that the the sheer layering of the script in this and the sheer uh, structure of it and how he gets all these characters moving together and gives everybody something to do is kind of astonishing um, so so you know I mean just just from a technical point of view from a from a a, 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 a challenge point of view what he's done here is is absolutely extraordinary and by him I mean Joss Whedon principally there but um, but also it is it is really fun I would agree that it's not as as fizzy and as 
as surprising in some ways, I think, as the first one was. But then it's never going to be. You know, mm. this is the second time we've seen all the Avengers together. And and But what I like about that then is that you do get the sense of them as a team. You get the sense that they know each other's moves, that they're able to kind of anticipate each other's actions. From the very first action scene to the mm. last, you get to see them playing to each other's strengths as well as their own. And I thought that was great. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, a, it's a different film. And Whedon has often said as he was making this movie, why would I make the same film twice? Mm. That That seems strange to me in his very Whedon-y way everything he says sounds like it's written by Joss Whedon it's weird that it's, it's so weird <laughs> but um, I, I, I interviewed him for the uh, the Spoiler Special podcast now I won't give everything away but there was a point yesterday where he said to me uh, that he um, he's been almost fanatically devoted to making this movie shorter than the first <laughs> it is shorter than the first two by minutes one or two minutes yeah. and um, especially if you don't sit all the way through the credits for a post credit thing that apparently is not there Despite all the rumours, there really? is there, apparently there is something not at the end. Okay, there isn't. There, apparently there isn't something at the end. He's swearing blind. There isn't something at the end. But by this point, it's out in the cinemas. So I don't know. Maybe unless you've heard differently now. Well, I know I heard beforehand, but then sometimes in the past it's been it's been added to the US release. So I yes. I, okay, at the moment, for those of you who have been asking, and I lo- I know a lot of people have. The screening that we have seen has had no post credit sting. There is a mid credit moment, yes. but that is all. But I can't rule it out because obviously last time they added something to the US release two weeks after it came out here or a week and a half after it came out here. I can't rule out that happening because there are rumours. I mean, yeah. So I don't know. Joss has categorically denied that there will be anything at the end of the movie, but He is very, very sneaky. He is a sneaky man. Or then again, maybe it... Who knows? Maybe maybe Marvel added it rather than. But I mean, it, but, uh, but it should be said that despite that, there is a lot of the the ending of the third act of this film feels like it's setting up. For it almost doesn't well, need this is for, yeah for the spoiler this is for the spoiler thing, yeah. But, but yeah. I actually kind of disagree with that. Okay, I think this is a I think the the third act of this movie. Yes, there are there are threads that set up other things, but. Really, in kind of the same way Empire Strikes Back does. I don't think anyone came out of the Empire Strikes Back in 1980 mithering about how much setup it had done for the next movie. It's like, oh, he's in carbonite, and the guy's lost his hand, and what? What's, you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a resolution. There's lots of resolution in this film. I thought there should have been less resolution. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it should have been more like the Empire Strikes Back, but this is definitely a conversation for the, it's the next definitely one. A conversation. So let's, but, let's, let's draw a line under that. But for the now. point I was making was, because I think he was so fanatically devoted to, and he said this in the, on the spoiler special, to making this shorter than the first movie it means just so much crammed into there mm. and sometimes it needs time to breathe and there's stuff and, there's stuff involving four which we've yeah. been talking about a lot about in the office yes which nobody seems to fully understand which will be explained on the spoiler special okay um, but ha- yeah absolutely but it, it's so intense and but every character gets a moment at least one moment uh, and uh, this is an staggering achievement of writing and i think a better Again, I've made this distinction on the podcast before. But some people don't agree with me. Some people do. Okay. It's a better film than the first one, but it's not as enjoyable a movie. Disagree. That's probably that's probably not unfair. Okay. I think I'm with you on that. Um, and I think I think what's what's interesting here is to see who gets their their big standout moments. I think Black Widow and Hawkeye have much more to do this time and get much much more screen time, and both run with that and make the most of it which is great I think Bruce Banner Hulk again he doesn't have the sort of the glorious puny god kind of moment maybe that he had last time but he's a, a fascinating character this time um, I think if anybody's shortchanged it's probably it's maybe a little bit Cap who Joss Whedon has said in the past he feels a little bit 
less comfortable writing for. But he's still very important. But he, That's I don't feel like he's he's quite maybe as so I'm, I'm gonna, developed as some of the others. You can disagree in a minute. I'm not sure. I agree and, with you 100% um, your police work there, and Lou. Thor is is probably the one who who loses most screen time. Yeah, I would say so. Although he does play a couple of key key roles in this film. And Hemsworth in this movie is hilarious. Yes. He absolutely he gets so much of the comic comedic heavy lifting to do and uh, uh and literally. he's, he's yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. Um, it's yeah. my favorite my favorite part of the film by far is that entire there's, there's just this fantastic sequence at the Avengers HQ. Yeah. Part of which involves the magical hammer, but there's just tons of great stuff which yeah. you wouldn't have seen in the trailers, which is just it's just the guys hanging out and it just makes you reminds you why you love these characters. I just want it's, to watch them cook dinner. I would watch them <laughs> cook dinner for 2 hours. Avengers HQ, they're making like something quite complicated, maybe a risotto and and some cake or something. You know, there's different things going on in the kitchen. That's it. That's honestly I would pay to see that Avengers. Mm. 100%. Yeah. Please, absolutely. somebody. I'd watch the meeting biskies. <laughs> Oh, you mentioned biscuits again, and now I'm hungry. Uh, yeah, I think this film's fantastic. Uh, it has some flaws. I actually kind of think that Ultron is not as effective uh, an antagonist as Loki in the first movie. He's and so much less dreamier. At no point does he yell uh, a word that is, you know, rude uh, either, which is you know, an upgrade, maybe, I guess. I don't know. But people like the Mule Quim line. Mm, I don't know. He's very monologue. Um, he is very monologue, but in a very knowing. This is, a, this is a movie we really can't get into in great detail, except to say that if you like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think you will really like this. You may ev- you may even love it. It's an absolute blast, and I can watch these characters interact with each other all day long. So four stars for Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, and do come back and listen to us on the uh, uh, spoiler special, because I've got a feeling it could be interesting. could be a lot of fun. There are other films out this week. Other films are available. Brave Hardy <laughs> Souls. Uh, and the, the, the big one this week is the return of the Swedish filmmaking legend Roy Anderson, uh, who uh, has a sort of Terence Malikian, Stanley Kubrickian <laughs> CV in that he makes a film every Seven three millennia, so. isn't yeah. it? Seven it's years, I think. The, the ancient properties foretell that he, <laughs> he will return. <laughs> in dark times uh, with a movie and uh, this well, his is his star is a pigeon so it takes a very long time to get them to sit still you've got to get chips put it on the branch and then uh, and reflect on existence yeah uh, because the title of the movie is a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence no one's going to confuse that with Avengers Age of Ultron they um, missed a trick not calling it Age of Pigeon reflecting yeah, on existence colon Age, Age, Age of, of pigeon. pigeon Age of Pigeon it would be amazing honestly I actually uh I really enjoyed this, if enjoyment is indeed the right word, which I'm not sure. So it's a series of, of vignettes, essentially. The, the camera's locked down in a sort of almost painterly tableau. Honestly, it looks like an old master kind of painting. It's beautifully, beautifully, beautifully put together. And then odd things and usually slightly morose things happen. All the characters are painted almost grey like they look a little bit like zombies um, and they tend to be slightly gloomy um, as you might expect of a Swedish art house film but it's really funny as well like laugh out loud funny so it's a series of these tiny little vignettes I don't know how many there are but there must be 30 at least if not more um, the only through line in most of them but by no means all are these two joke salesmen and they're they're going around town. They've got a suitcase each. They're peddling um, vampire fangs, <laughs> laughter bags, and this horrible rubber mask called Uncle One Tooth. And and they kind of go in, and they honestly look like they're funeral directors, and they act like they're funeral directors, and they're trying to sell these jokes to people who don't have any money to buy them. So so there's that whole little story 
going on and things happening to them and and them interacting with people. There's three little um, plays about death that open it up, which are genuinely hilarious, but also kind of sad. And then there are moments that don't seem connected to anything. Um, and, and fully surreal moments like when Charles Twelfth of Sweden mm-hmm. turns up with his 100,000 man army and goes off to invade Russia, which he, of course, did, as you'll all know, in 1708. Um, but, yes. he, but he passes through the modern day cafe where the where the joke salesmen are looking for directions. So, you know, it's a little unhinged in time, I think, at that point. There's a, there's a musical number. It really does have something for everyone. Um, but the question, I guess, is your tolerance for, you know, morose Swedish people. Um, but hilarious and and genuinely lingers with you and sticks in your head and is beautiful, beautifully ugly in some, time, in some cases to look at, but, but beautiful all the same. Uh, I really loved it. Uh, it won, I think, the, the Golden Lion at Venice last year. It's an art house dar- darling already, as you'd expect. Um, but it maybe is worth a look, even if you don't like that sort of thing, because all those little tiny bits make it quite digestible. So we gave it, I think we gave it four stars, mm-hmm. acknowledging that it probably isn't for everyone in the world. Um, actually, the, I have to say, I really like, I didn't write this, but I really like the verdict here, which is if Chris Morris had grown up in Sweden watching Jacques Tati and Ing- Ingmar Bergman films, he'd be making films like this. That's actually a really <laughs> good summation of what this is. Um, halfway between Tati... Bergman, yes, and with a little bit of Morris. Uh, it's not often we we obviously uh, give a shout out to other writers from other publications on this podcast, but in in the case of Robbie Collin in the Telegraph, his review of this film is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I'm just going to get a little quote from it just to give you an idea of what you're dealing with. Why would you write about a Royal Anderson film? You might as well dance about a cake. Uh, <laughs> it stands apart from the rest of cinema. It's such a remove. They're trying to make sense of it in words. It's beside the point, maybe even impossible. You just have to watch it, then grab a net and try and coax your soul back down from the ceiling. Which pretty much describes the opening action scene of Age of Ultron as well, <laughs> uh, I think. So it's a good week. That's a, this is a good week. It's a good and week. And Phil has recorded a spoiler special for... Um, <laughs> A pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. It's just Phil in a room. <laughs> and the pigeon. And the pigeon. And it's it's 17 hours long. But Phil berating out the for pigeon. That that I would genuinely pay to watch that. Uh, also about the other film we're going to tackle in vague detail, because you know, we're banging on a bit here, is uh, Stonehurst Asylum. Yes. Uh, so this is the... Uh, Kim Newman reviewed this, uh, mm. and we probably should have known he was going to like it because it's a gothic horror. Um, based on a story by um, Edgar Allan Poe, I think. Um, and it's it's the story of a young doctor, uh, played by Jim Sturgis, who turns up to an asylum. And uh, he's he's been intrigued by the case of uh, the, the, the aristocratic Eliza Graves, who's played by uh, Kate Beckinsale. And she's been locked up as a hysteric. Um, and uh, But the director of the asylum, who's played by Ben Kingsley, um, is, is very unconventional in his approach to his patients. And soon Jim Sturgis learns that that's because he is, in fact, one of the patients. And he has overthrown the actual director and all the staff, locked them up in dungeons downstairs. And essentially, the lunatics are running the asylum. <sighs> so uh, Sturgis is kind of caught between his desire to obviously let the rightful people out and, and also kind of protect Beckinsale's character because she's in with Kingsley's character and kind of running the place. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an, an intriguing little thriller. Amazing, amazing cast. You've also got Michael Caine in there. You've got uh, Jason Fleming, David Thewlis. 
David Theolis. Kim went four stars. Um, I'm not he, doing Kim. He really enjoyed it. No, um, he really enjoyed it. And there is a lot of black humour in there as well as the, the kind of the, the thriller aspect. I would personally probably be a high three, but okay. I did I did enjoy it. All right. Okay. Uh, it's directed by Brad Anderson. Yes. Who, uh, if anyone has, if you haven't seen this film, check out one of his early films, Session Nine. Terrifying film with uh, David Caruso and Peter Mullen. Uh, really scary. Set in uh, equally in a a former that kind of mental institution. They're kind of uh, stripping it down, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're workmen who are stripping this this building that used to be. I saw a, that on Netflix last year. It's and it's, it's, it's it's really good. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, he also did the Machinist. He did the Machinist. Yeah, he's a very good director. Uh, so four stars then for Stonehurst Asylum. Also out this week is The Falling, uh, starring Game of Thrones. Maisie Williams. We gave that three of your English stars so uh, that might be worth a look as well and also out this week is The Falling starring Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones I believe she plays Ned Stark or Tyrion Dyrion is that right? You've got to start watching it Chris this is crazy Yep Uh, and that's it for this week's Empire Podcast Uh, join us oh yeah The Falling we gave three stars we gave three stars too sorry I was so busy dismissing one of the most popular TV shows on, on TV I'm watching MasterChef Helen I don't have time Make time, Chris. There's so much food in Game of Thrones. You'd love it. That's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. Sure. We'll be joined by Carrie Mulligan, star of Far From the Madding Crowd. Don't forget to listen now for our Daredevil spoiler special and our Avengers Age of Ultron spoiler specials. But until next week, it's goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen. Fare thee well. See you next week.